you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 129. Continuing in our series on the Psalms of Ascent, right? The Psalms of Ascent are uh, Psalms 120 through 134. It's this group of 15 psalms that were sung by ancient Israelites making their journey to Jerusalem. And they're, they're songs for discipleship. They're songs to that describe what it's like living by faith in, in the living God. And, and so the, one of the things we looked at last week is out of these 15 psalms, there are five groups of three, and each, each of the groups of three has a psalm of poverty, you know, what, what our need is, a psalm of God's power, and a psalm of peace. And so as we start Psalm 129, this one very clearly is a psalm about our need, our poverty, looking at our pain. So... Let's let's read this psalm and and pray and we'll we'll meditate on it together. The word of our God. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, each of us come this morning with particular pains that we did not ask for. Uh, they've been inflicted on us. And so I, I pray as we think about the problem of pain, we would see your beloved son with scars on his back, crucified, dead, buried, risen, raised again as your answer to our pain. So may your, your spirit help us persevere through faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Diane Langberg is a, a Christian counselor. It's actually my dad's counseling professor in seminary. Uh, but she has about 40-plus years' experience helping people deal with pain, with the suffering She's counseled folks in literal war zones, uh, refugees. She's counseled folks coming out of the cruelty that takes place at home and in churches as well. I mean, she's, she's got a long list of experience of stories, I'm sure, that she would rather not have heard. And so she says that uh, this about suffering. She says, if you take a look at suffering humanity, it should lead to the realization that trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century. That's that suffering, right? That the community of those who've been sinned against, uh, those who are walking wounded, I would argue are those who need to hear the good news of this psalm. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. They're, they're a community of people who are looking for hope. And that's what Psalm 129 is about. It's for those who've been hurt again and again and again by other people. As it says, for my youth, and it's a metaphor, but it's 
from Israel's youth, right? They're walking around carrying scars from your childhood, right? Greatly afflicted from my youth. And to, to be afflicted at minimum, just to think about this, yeah, you say, okay, this is hard, this is painful. But the way the word afflicted is used in the Old Testament is much more intense. Uh, it's picture threats of physical violence. Picture, imagine being constantly anxious over your well-being, wondering if you're going to survive. It's just a really hard life. There's there's examples like like King David overhearing his own people planning to stone him. He He says, I'm afflicted. You can think Israel with the armies of Assyria, with Tiglath, Tiglath Pileser, Tiggy P, we'll go, we'll go with that for short, right? Um, right, so you got this massive, terrifying army that just raises villages to the ground, and, and they're outside, and they say, pay up, or we're going to stomp you. Israel's been afflicted. Uh, to, to be afflicted is to, to live as sheep in a world run by wolves. And uh, to use the language of the psalm, right, we, we, we live in a world where everyday evil treats human beings like, like a field to be plowed. The, the modern language we would probably use would be like ground to be walked on. Or it's they're the, they're the street that we drive over. And so Psalm 129 is telling Israel's story that how they have persevered through pain since their youth, uh, beginning with, we would argue, with slavery in Egypt. That's how Hosea describes Israel. Out of when, when Israel was a youth, God says, I loved them. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And, and so Israel is just reflecting. This is a community psalm reflecting on all the trials and tribulations that they have come through and the miracle that it is that they're still standing. Right? And so this is a Psalm 1. It's, it's, it's for those who've been sinned against, uh, those who have literal scars on their back. And emotional scars, but it's also a psalm of pers- those who've persevered through pain. Right? I mean, that's that's Israel's confident boast here that they didn't prevail against us because of God. Evil has not won. Uh, I mean, their boast is we're not dead yet. It's very counterintuitive to a nation's boast. Usually, our nation, the nation's boast of here's the list of the cities and the countries we've conquered. Israel is, hey, we're still here no matter how hard you try to, to stomp us out. Because, right, because of God, the Lord is righteous. And so if this testimony of faith helps Israel, this is what we want to look at this morning, how does this psalm help us as the sinned against persevere through our pain? Right, if Israel has been still standing from Egypt to all the troubles they've had, what about us? And so let's work through the psalm like this. It's going to show us the the problem that we have with pain. It's going to show us how to pray through our pain and then how to persevere through our pain. Uh, All right, let's look at the problem. In general, I think we have two main problems when it comes to this kind of affliction and this kind of pain. For us modern people, this kind of pain, if you've been sinned against, I should say when you are sinned against, can easily lead to a crisis of faith. Right? The opposite testimony of Israel. To, to say, I, 
I don't think I can persevere. I can't hold on. I don't. We struggle to, to trust, right? Because when we or those we loved are sinned against, the questions we always ask, right? Why? Why me? Why do I live in a world where people are treated like dirt to be trashed? Pain has, for many, caused a crisis of faith. Right? Don't, don't you know people like that? Or haven't you had these questions yourself? Of where something has happened and they don't persevere. Right? God doesn't answer the prayers that they were hoping he would answer. And they find out, I don't have the ability to hold on to God while I'm in pain. And so they're walking around with those, I mean, they're psalm-like questions, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, type questions. And what's interesting, though, is, is the way Israel processes pain. Right? We're surprised by it because we're trained that, li that life should be comfortable in our, in our modern world. Israel, they're saying, we have been suffering since we were kids. Afflicted since we were a youth. I mean, you can think of Egypt's ruthless slavery, how their lives were made bitter. Uh, they got the awful order where the Hebrews were thriving, right? They were growing families because Pharaoh decided we, we, we don't want them to become too many. Otherwise, they're going to rise up and cause a mutiny and take over the country. So let's, let's kill all the male children. You leave Egypt, you get into the book of Judges, and, and it's just one nation after another harassing and, and harming Israel. You got you know, a couple generations between David and Solomon of some kind of peace, but then you've got Assyria who wipes out the northern tribes. You have Babylon that raised Jerusalem to the ground. I mean, the history of Israel has been one long battle one after the other. And so what we're being shown, I, I think this is, Israel could say something like Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, right? That, that they, they've been afflicted in every way, but they're not crushed. They're perplexed, but not driven to despair. They're persecuted, but not forsaken. They're struck down, but not destroyed. You know, they're, they're saying, We've, we're afflicted, but those who are against us have not won. So we ask, why am I in pain? Questions. They're saying, why are we still standing? Why have I persevered? Because what we've gone through, I should, not, I should not have been able to make it through. I cannot make through this stuff on my own. And so this is a tough faith. I mean, you, you stop and think about the testimony of the Psalms. They're showing you a faith that is able to handle the worst kinds of things that this world has to throw, throw at us. That's why Eugene Peterson will ask, ask this question. Do you think of Christian faith as a fragile style, style of life that can only flourish when the weather conditions are just right? Or do you see Christian faith as a tough perennial that can stick it out through storm and drought, survive the, the trampling of careless feet and even the attacks of enemies? Right. Israel is saying and testifying, I should say, Faith in Yahweh, in the Lord, is tough. It outlasts its oppressors, all the haters. It endures all things. 
that that each scar, each each long furrow is a testimony to pain, but also to God's faithfulness in the midst of that pain. Okay? So you look at this psalm, right? It's it's testifying to to God the God's given toughness to them in their weakness. <laughs> if they don't feel if they're afflicted, they don't read the psalms they don't feel tough right? this psalm in particular is also here to remind us uh, that you're not alone this is what when you have a crisis of faith you you need to not go through it alone you need community and so it sounds a little bit like liturgy right you got one person saying greatly have they afflicted me from my youth and then it says now everybody say greatly have they afflicted me from my youth but they have not prevailed against me right you have this worship leader in a response and so you have the testimony that when you're suffering, this is what you need. You need the, the testimony of others that God has carried through. Right? Affliction is my story, but affliction is our story. And because we're part of God's people, we have a bigger story than just my story. We have a story of God's victory over evil. So we, we come with a cr- our crisis of faith, and what Israel is, is saying is that there's a, there's a way to go through pain that doesn't cause you to lose faith, but it should lead you to testify to God's faithfulness in the midst of it. So, if Israel persevered, what's their secret? Right? What's, how did their, if their faith made it through trauma, how do we? And, and part of the, their secret is, is the way they pray, the way they pray against evil. Because you don't, if you stop and look at the imagery of verse 3, right, the flowers plowing upon my back, long they made their furrows. That's just a brutal picture. Right? But if you've ever been maliciously sinned against, especially when it's intentional and it's, especially if, if it's, it's filled with hatred and a callousness toward you, it's an apt poetic description of pain. problem is, and I think this is our second problem with pain, like it can lead to a crisis of faith. The other problem with pr- this kind of pain is, is our emotional response. Like my first instinct isn't to pray like this. Right? I mean, how do you respond when you're sinned against? Isn't your first instinct anger? To fight back? Right? We all know the Sunday school answer, Father, forgive them for they know. They know not what they do. That's what we should say, and that's what Jesus said. How do you respond as a warm-blooded human being? Right? Do you pray for your enemies? And that's what, we, that's what we want to be here, right? As modern people, we want, why can't they just embody more of Jesus? Why, why is he not teaching us to pray for their enemies? And, and they actually had similar commands, right? Jesus got that straight from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor so you don't sin against them. Basically, it's saying that just because you are, you've been sinned against, don't let their sin become occasion for you to sin, like hating your brother in your heart. You do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's other places. Proverbs 24. 
Proverbs 24, 17 says, don't celebrate when your enemies fall, and don't let your heart be glad when they stumble. Exodus 23 says, if your enemy's ox or donkey goes astray, and you find them, right? You can't just celebrate their loss of property and just let, let the thing die. There's no finder's keepers. You can't keep it for your own. <laughs> just because they hate you, right? You, your lost neighbor's oxen is an opportunity to, to love your neighbor, to even love your enemy. Yet I know from my own heart and, and talking to people, really hard to even fathom this kind of love for somebody who's sinned against you. Tolerating is, is about as good as it gets. And even then, that's a big ask sometimes. Uh, probably agree, agree with Bill Watterson, the, the guy who did Calvary and Hobbes. You know what he says? It's hard to be religious when some people aren't struck by lightning. <laughs> now, if we're going to respond Biblically, according to this psalm, we have to deal with our anger at the injustice and the woundedness that, that we're carrying. And we've got to do that through prayer. And specifically, Psalm 129 says, imprecatory prayer is a way to process your pain in the presence of God in community. So imprecatory prayer is, is just a genre in the songs of where, where God's people ask God to do justice to lower the boom, so to speak. Uh, Lord, you deal with evil. Right? And because love your neighbor is in the same book, right? give the writers of scripture credit along with the Holy Spirit. This prayer exists alongside, alongside the command to love your neighbor. And I would argue this prayer is going to help you love your, love your neighbor. Right? We can't... We, we can't avoid this prayer simply because we think we know better. Right. See, verse, verses 5 through 8, uh, that may all who ate Zion be put to shame, may they be like grass that withers, may they, may they not hear blessing. Right. All of these are, they're, they're calling God to deal with, our, with evil, calling on God to defang what has bitten us, so to speak. Right? Take away its power, Lord. Do justice. You are righteous. Do something about evil. Right? Part of what they're doing is grabbing on to God's promise that evil and pain will be dealt with. It will be vanquished. Right? And we need that confidence. Because we all know by experience that if, if you don't deal with your woundedness, you will wound others. Right? The afflicted others. And anger can erupt like a flash flood, swallowing up those who get too close, and, and you might not even know why you're reacting that way. And give us all kinds of examples, right? A child of divorce struggles to maintain trust in a romantic relationship as an adult. If you're wounded by the church, you have a really difficult time to trust anyone who's religious. John Owen said, be killing sin, because sin is going to be killing you. I mean, it's, it's a really good warning to say, we have to deal with our wounds, or we're going to wound others. And so that's why I, I, we need imprecatory prayers to bring our pain into the presence of God. Right? I mean, 
don't you see that impulse in you? I know the hope of the gospel is that um, when Jesus returns, all the, the swords are going to be beaten into plowshares, and, and farmers are going to be, uh, fighters are going to be turned into peaceful farmers. And, but if once you're sinned against, it doesn't matter how, how peaceful of a farmer are, you are. <laughs> right? You're ready to take that plow and just get out the hammer and start beating it into a sword. You, you start firing words back and forth. And you dr- daydream about their downfall and, and celebrate because it feels good to watch them suffer. Because I've suffered, right? I'm not the only one, right? Making sure, (laughs) right? And yet, the Psalms are saying the one who's blessed should not be the slave. They're not the slave of their emotions. This is a quote we looked at last week from another counselor, that our emotions can be servants that lead us to the Lord. Right, and so if you let your anger at injustice and the pain that you're carrying pray these this prayer of psalm 129 together what what are you go, what's going to be spoken to your heart well verse 4 you're going to find out that the lord uh, he cuts the cord of the wicked he's against evil so that there is no wickedness that cannot be be dealt with god rescues and it's a the language right, either it either means you're you're tied up and you're a prisoner and you need to be set free so it's like freedom from slavery and bondage or it's it's a a, a plowing word right it's it's the the cords that are they're connecting the oxen to the plow so god's disconnecting the cords that the wicked are using to inflict pain either way it's the lord rescuing verse 5 shows you that evil's going to lose Right? May all who hate Zion, that's, that's Jerusalem, God's people, may they be put to shame and turned backward. May they know the shame of losing. Right? If you're a Christian in a war zone, you're, you're praying that God would not give them opportunity to boast in their violent victory. May they, may they lose. You pray verse 6, you're going to find out and, and t- tell your heart, evil is temporary. Pray that they'll be like grass on the housetop. Uh, that right, it feels like forever, but wickedness is like chaff. Right? They're, they're, they're light. They're weightless. Right? May they wither. Don't let them thrive. You keep going, you're going to find out evil will be fruitless. In other words, yeah, they've, they've plowed hatred, they've plowed harm, they've sowed seeds of anger and bitterness potentially in your back and in your heart. But when you start praying, you're praying, may, they, may their plans fail. May they know the humiliation of putting all this hard work into something and come back with empty arms. And then five, right, you, you find out, may evil get no blessing from God. May they be the kind of people that no one says, may the Lord bless you. And the Lord bless you, right? We, we looked at that with Psalm 128. It's, it's all of life type success. And it sounds harsh to us if you're supposed to pray for your enemies to turn around and say, may no one say to you, the Lord bless you. But just imagine going up to Pharaoh who's having little boys tossed into the Nile and say, the Lord bless you. May he cause you to flourish. 
pick any evil dictator or any evil perpetrator. We don't want evil to flourish. We want it to be uprooted. Because God is righteous, it's right to pray that evil won't flourish. Even as he longs for their salvation and a change of heart. To pray these prayers is to bring your pain into the realm of God's providence. You know what that means? That you're, you're, you're bringing your pain into the reality that God is, has a plan to overcome evil. And even, even better for the church to use that evil for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean it's a pleasant thing when you go through it. I think if we were if we don't pray this kind of psalm, we're telling the wounded to just stuff their longings with justice, which causes more anger, which causes more affliction. Right? It's a Christian impulse to say this is wrong and we need to stop it. God do something. So yeah, pray for your enemy to have a change of heart. Even while you pray for God to stop the evil they are currently planning, planting, and plotting. Right. So, how are you doing? <laughs> right. This is a heavy psalm. Psalm 130 and 131 get much better. But it looks at the world with brutal honesty to say there are pains in the world. They, they take their brother out into the field and, and they use their, they, they, they plow their brother's back. So, point three, right? You, we, how do we praying through our pain is going to help us deal? But how do we persevere? And why would you trust God to answer your prayers right? like this? Why would you trust that the Lord will cut the cords of the wicked? Why trust Him if you have scars on your back? That's the psalm, right? Greatly they have afflicted us, and this is a psalm where people who have long furrows, right? We have evidence of woundedness. And so look at verse 4. It says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. And this, this is the hinge point of the psalm. It's the only good news, really, in it. Um, they have not prevailed because the Lord is righteous. Right? And so why does God cut the cords of the wicked? And the answer that we get is in the Lord's character. He does what is right for those he is in relationship with. He sticks by and sticks with and defends those he loves. Right? That's the good news of the psalm. What gets Israel through their pain? It's God's righteousness and his rescue. Seeing God rescue them again and again and again and again. That's the, tes- that's the testimony that exists side by side. If you read Judges, you know, they sin, they get put into bondage and slavery and, and struggle, and another nation afflicts them, and, and God sends them a rescuer and sets them free for another generation, right? It's, it's this repetition of God continually bailing them out, bailing out those who do not deserve it, because they have not trusted Now, to be a Christian is to be in a covenant relationship with a righteous God. It's, it's to be in a relationship with a person where your, your central reality is this personal, 
unalterable, persevering commitment that God makes to you. I am yours. You are mine. I will defend you. The Lord is righteous. We're We're in a covenant now. When you are faithless, I will be faithful. And that's our hope. That's our sanity. That's why you can forgive even if justice doesn't happen now. Our hope is in what the Lord has done and will do. We trust that he will judge, that he will deal with evil, that he will do what is right. But we have something better than that. How do you know the Lord is righteous? He cuts the cord of the wicked. That's why we read Isaiah 50. Because it shows you God's suffering servant who volunteers his back be plowed on, who volunteers his his cheeks to turn to the other cheek to have his beard plucked. Isaiah 53 says, upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brings us peace. See, the, the scriptures look forward to Jesus, the true Israel, the better Israel, God's beloved son who can testify, yeah, they've afflicted me from my youth. He was made perfect through suffering. And so God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, the righteous Lord, for his enemies, let evil plow furrows on his back and on his life. And he did so, according to Isaiah 50, with perfect faith. You see that? God, the one who vindicates, the one who's going to prove me right, he is near and he will rescue me. And he's so confident of God's presence while in pain, he says, bring it on. (laughs) Who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Let them draw near because God will help me. And he knows that because this is Jesus' testimony of faith. Evil will wear itself out like a garment. It's going to be eaten like a moth. It's going to wither like grass. Jesus' testimony of the Old Testament. See, when you look at the cross, which is God's answer to our pain, you see the perfect, loved Son of God allowing himself to be bound by the cords of the wicked, trusting that the Father will vindicate and rescue him despite being buried in the ground like a seed. See, one of the interesting things in, in the battle that we all face when we're sinned against, we're the innocent parties in that moment. But Jesus is the only truly innocent party. We're not only the wounded, we're those who wounded. We're those who wound. And so what the gospel shows us is while we were still enemies, Christ died for us to show us his righteousness and his rescue. And that's our call as a Christian, to look there. Because you find the assurance that Jesus, that the Lord is righteous. He will deal with evil. He has justice poured out on Christ. That's the the words of the psalm. Let us love and sing in wonder. When when through faith in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. Then you see, because the tomb is empty and this is the beginning of his harvest, right? It's the first fruits. You're going to see that Jesus is committed to 
see evil wither and fail and die out. The plan has already started. It's already answered our prayers to some extent. May they be put to shame. They poured out all their wrath on Jesus and he rose from the dead. So if you believe that, that Jesus died for you while you were yet an enemy, you can do two things, right? You can you can pray, Father, forgive them. Keep keep your sword sheathed where you're not going to fight back. And you can still pray, Lord, frustrate their plans. Right? Lead them to a place of frustration where they cry out for help to you. Right? If you're not going to change their hearts, at least frustrate their plans. And that leaves us with, I think, two, two comforts. And this will lead us to, to a close here. Right? We've got to pray through our pain. We have psalms to help us do that. And we, we have the example. We have the, the clear picture of Christ on the cross who uh, answers our prayers for pain to be dealt with. But I, I like what Tim Keller says. He says, evil in the end, the, co- the, the cords of the wicked, in the end, they will be a servant of your joy. And I get that from the text, because on the one hand, there's two different ways to look at this. Com- the, the Hebrew translators wonder, when you look at verse 8, whether it's, it's saying, twice may you not receive God's blessing, or is it saying, may you be the kind of people that you isn't blessed, that aren't blessed. And then the last line, maybe it's saying, we bless the suffering in the name of the Lord. It's, the grammar is just hard to tell. Either way, you still have Psalm 128 right before Psalm 129, that if you're a Christian, you're blessed. And that's the main difference between you and the wicked. Right? And so, if you have that perspective in your mind, no matter what suffering and and pain that you go through, you're going to be a servant of your joy in the end. Because when you get to the end of all things, and, and when the new heavens and the earth comes down, and and you know that you're going to be resurrected from the dead, you can say to evil, um, yeah, this hurts, but do your work. And when you get to the end and you look back, you're going to say, this was all, this was all like a bad dream. You know, it's like a nightmare. And if you've ever experienced a nightmare, especially about your loved ones, the moment you wake up and see that the, the worst is over, and that didn't really happen, right? you become more joyful. And so there's a way to look at at the blessing that we have, that we will have God for eternity and evil will be conquered. To look back and say, yeah, even evil will be a servant of our joy. Even if we, it's still evil. It's not, it's not good. Right? Because we know evil is going to get silence, it's going to get justice. And to the faith, to those who persevere, we have the Lord's blessing. You have Revelation 21. On the one hand, it says, uh, the new heavens, the new earth have come. The old has passed away, and behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And tears will be no more. He will wipe away your tears. But then at the end of Revelation 21, it says, guess who's not welcome in the city of God? Those wicked who didn't change. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers 
the sexually immoral, the, the idolaters, the liars, all those sins, all those things that are listed there describe some way that they, they have caused pain to others. If they don't change, if they're not walking in, in paradise, if they don't know the, the Lord. Lastly, this psalm, I think, gives us um, great comfort because it's, it's tapping into a really good doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. As we go through all this, that evil has not prevailed. Just persevere. And the, per- the doctrine, technically, of perseverance of the saints is because the Lord is righteous, because your future faith depends on Jesus' perfect faith, not on your faith, God promises that you will per- persevere to the end. You know, the, 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 the comment is once saved, always saved. I think is, is how it's put simply. It's, it's, it's saying that your faith may wobble, it may tremble, it may vacillate, you may be in the dark. But because of God, you'll, you will persevere. Because even your faith is a gift. Right? That's, how that, that's how our confession of faith puts it. Those whom God has accepted in the Son. Those whom he's affectionately called, sanctified by his Spirit, they never completely or finally fall from grace. Rather, they shall definitely continue in that state to the end, not eternally saved. Then it goes on to say, this endurance doesn't depend on their own free will, but on God's unchangeable decree of election that flows from his voluntary, unchangeable love. It's a lot in there, but here's what it's saying. Why do you persevere? The Lord is righteous. He's holding on to you. His love came upon you, and you can't get rid of it (laughs) in Christ. Center of gravity. But we can say, Greatly have I been afflicted, but because of Jesus, I have not prevailed. He is over us. Right? So if your faith is wobbling, right? Pray Psalm 129. Pray for the, the, the eyes to see Jesus fighting for you. That he he had faith perfectly in pain. So that you, with your imperfect pain, would know you're, you're guarded and kept for a salvation already in wait, waiting for the, last, the end of days. Right? And once you get there, you're, you're back in Romans 8, where Pastor Jim's going to be teaching here soon. Right? If, if God in Christ is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not even the cords of the wicked. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray uh, that what is true, what comes from you, that your gospel would comfort us in our pain. I pray for those of us who are wrestling with forgiveness, to forgive those who've sinned against us, uh, that your gospel would bear fruit, that you would lead us to a place where we can forgive those who've harmed us, and that, that our willingness to love our enemies would be a testimony of your grace working in our hearts. And I also pray for those who have, who have been sinned against, uh, Lord, that we would have the courage and the confidence to pray that those who have harmed us would not flourish, uh, that you would frustrate their plans, uh, that, that we would get a glimpse of what will happen to evil at the end uh, when you will 
come to judge the quick and the dead. Most of all, Lord, I pray for perseverance that uh, that that as Timothy reminds us, because Christ is alive and we are faithless, you are faithful. Remind us yet again that you're you're holding you're holding on to us stronger than we can bear to do it. Thank you for the.